Why don't you all stand with me? I know this is different. We don't normally do this Thursday nights, but I'm feeling it. So uh, I'm going to read starting in verse 29, and we'll pray and we'll jump into this portion of the scripture. The Bible says in verse 29 of chapter 1, the gospel according to Mark, Now as soon as they had come out of the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. But Simon's wife's mother lay sick with a fever, and they told him, that is, they told Jesus about her at once. So he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she served them. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for the study in your word tonight. God, we believe your word to be living and powerful and, God, sharper than any two-edged sword. We believe with all of our hearts, God, tonight as we read and study the scriptures that your word will not return void. God, it'll be planted like a seed in our hearts and truly as it's received by faith, God, we believe that it will bear forth fruit not only in the coming days, uh, but Father, in the coming years. We ask tonight that as we're in this gospel account that you would reveal your beautiful son to us. That is truly, God, what we've come to experience. We've come to experience him. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. You can have a seat. You know, I, I feel, do feel compelled tonight just to say this to you about the gospels as we're starting the gospel according to Mark that the Gospels are not just about information. Uh, and they are about information, don't get me wrong. They are about data. There is information that's given, but, but that's not um, the extent of the purpose of the writing of the Gospels. You know, I think it was D.L. Moody that said uh, that the Bible is not just for your information, it's for your transformation. And Oh yeah, that's a good one. That's a, that's a, that's a take home right there. And I, I think that it's important just to reiterate that because, you know, we don't have some institutional, sterile approach to the Word of God as if we're just looking to gather information about God to ourselves to put into our minds. You know, we, we bring what is contained in the Scriptures into our heads and also our hearts. That's how we process it. It is our heads and it's our hearts, and the Word of God is received by faith. And then in addition to that, remember, um, and this is true for every book of the Bible, but it is absolutely true for the gospel accounts. Like what we're learning about here uh, is, not, is not just uh, theological information. We're learning about the one that we love. We're learning about our rescuer. We're, we're learning about our hero. You know, our culture, and it seems like the world right now is all about heroes, whether it's Marvel heroes or DC heroes, superheroes, don't. We don't need to know tonight which one's your favorite, um, because really the greatest hero of all is Jesus Christ. Amen. And so, and, and so I say that to you tonight because really it's like the gospel accounts are they're they're almost like a, a work of art, right? If you go to the Louvre or you go to some other um, some other museum with artwork. You know, you gaze at the beauty of the piece of art that's been created. You marvel at the creator, but you also marvel at what is before your eyes. And I think that the gospel accounts are like that. I pray that our journey through Mark is like that. That is, we're reading about Jesus. It's, you know, we're really just considering in awe his beauty and his grandeur. And the truth is this, there is nobody like him. And so, 
you know, on this journey as we're studying Mark, you know, of course, our, our prayer is that we fall more and more in love with the one who loves us. Tonight we're going to see, of course, that he is compassionate. We know that. And um, just as a reminder, I think it's just important to kind of get the framework of this chapter. Uh, we last week talked about how Mark's gospel account is, um, it, it kind of reads like an action-adventure movie. Like if you were to put this in, the, if you were going through Netflix and you saw all the genres of, you know, uh, film, you would put this in action and adventure. It is short it is fast moving. Uh, it, is, it has uh, the least unique material of any gospel account, which leads some to believe that Mark was the first gospel account written and the other synoptic gospels uh, gathered their information f- from him or at, at least were inspired to include some of the same stories. But you'll notice with Mark, uh, there's not as much detail that's given to the stories that we're so familiar with. But when we started the chapter, remember, uh, we looked at how the first section really dealt with Jesus being prepared for his ministry. Uh, of course, he was declared by John the Baptist. Uh, he was water baptized as he uh, submitted himself to the, the process that God had established. Of course, he did not need to repent of his sins. John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. Even John understood that he was unworthy to be baptizing Jesus, and yet Jesus submitted to the process the Father had established. And then in addition to that, in that moment, remember, there was the beautiful expression of the triune Godhead where you had Christ coming up out of the water, the Holy Spirit descending as a dove upon him, And then the voice from heaven, the voice of the Father saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And then immediately after that, and this is true for every gospel account, um, immediately after that, the Bible says that the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, drove him into the wilderness where he prayed and fasted for 40 days. And he was ultimately tempted by the devil. Uh, And there's so much to learn there about how we overcome temptation and how we can be victorious as we ourselves rely on the Holy Scriptures um, as the sword of the Spirit, but really uh, remember the theological uh, importance of that moment is that he's the second Adam. And whereas the first Adam was in a garden in this beautiful uh, scenario of perfection, and yet he failed when he was tempted, the second Adam, not in a garden, but in a wilderness, not with an abundance, but 40 days of prayer, praying and fasting, he was victorious against the temptation of the adversary. And so he is our victor. And then, of course, uh, beginning in verse, verse 14, we um, entered into the second section of chapter one, which is Jesus bringing the kingdom, his initial message of repentance, the calling of at least four of his disciples in that particular moment, uh, and then the demonstration of his spiritual power and authority as he spoke in the synagogue in Capernaum. Remember, I said this to you, that Capernaum was the headquarters of his ministry, not just in the Galilee, but in all of Israel. That's really where he uh, was, what his HQ was. Um, He was there in the temple, and he spoke as one who had authority. He was not referencing the other teachings of the rabbis to establish the power of his position, which was common during the day. This is what rabbis would do. They would make a point, 
and then they would substantiate the authority of the point by quoting some rabbi, you know, some imminent rabbi, and, and because this rabbi happened to agree with them, therefore their point was settled and established. Well, Jesus didn't have to do that because Jesus is God, and he is the one who's inspired the scriptures in the first place. And so the authority that he spoke with uh, caused the people to marvel. And then that authority was verified uh, in that particular moment in the synagogue in Capernaum where when that demon-possessed man somehow came to Christ and, of course, that demon was exercised. And so we jump now into verse 29. So right as they walk out of the synagogue, the Bible says, and, and that's really the wording, now as soon as they had come out of the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. If you're with me in Capernaum in, in March 2023, what you'll, what you'll see is we will actually walk through the ruins of that ancient synagogue and as you step off of the foundation right in front of you is a church that's built over what is believed to be uh, the house of Simon and Andrew. Simon and Andrew were brothers and their home was right next to synagogue. So that was obviously very convenient for them. Uh, most likely, you know, some people kind of frame Simon as this uh, not necessarily observant Jew that's probably not the case. He was probably very observant in his Judaism. Um, but what we have here is the four of them with Jesus leaving the synagogue, immediately going into Simon's house. And who was in Simon's house? Well, his mother-in-law was there. And she was sick with a fever. And the scripture says, immediately. You know, this is how they dealt with the physical situation or the calamity or the crisis that was before them. And we'll talk about whether this was really a crisis or not. Uh, they went to Jesus, the Bible says, at once. And the response of Jesus was to come by the side of Peter's mother-in-law to take her by the hand. I mean, it's just a beautiful picture of the gentleness of Jesus. Aren't you thankful tonight that he is gentle with you? I was meeting with uh, some of our interns, and as we were sitting in a circle, one of them said, man, I'm just so thankful for the mercy of God. So thankful for the mercy of God. His mercy is never ending. And I think it's a, a great way to begin your prayer in the morning. God, have mercy on me. And he takes great pleasure in having mercy upon us. And I think that that mercy was demonstrated when he took the hand of Peter's mother-in-law. And the Bible says immediately the malady that she was confronted with, and in her case, it was a severe fever. I mean, she was sick. We're not necessarily sure how sick. She was laid up for sure. But as he took her hand, interesting, just, you know, Jesus never heals the same way twice. He takes her hand, the fever leaves her, uh, and then we'll talk about what she did following in just a minute. But I would say to you tonight, as we consider this miracle, and we're going to talk about the compassion of Christ for the one and the compassion of Christ for the many, we see in this a beautiful expression of the compassion of Jesus for the individual, for the one person. And it does seem to me that there's no issue that's too small to bring to Jesus. You know, there are some times, and I know you've been there, and I've been there as well, where it's like, man, you have this issue. It's, it's you know, maybe not the most severe calamity that you've been in, and maybe other people would look at the situation and say, well, that's not a big deal, but guess what? It's a big deal to you. 
It's a big deal to you, and yet in prayer, you're like, man, is it really a big enough deal to bring to God? Have you ever felt that way before? Maybe just you feel a little bad that there's this thing that you're dealing with, and, you know, God's got all these other issues. He's got Russia invading Ukraine, and, you know, there's no baby bottle formula on the shelves in America, and, and you know, there are all these issues, and it's like, well, you know, this isn't really a big deal, but you know what? There's... There's no issue in your life that's too small for God. It matters to God. And you know what? This thing needed to be prayed for. They knew what they needed to do. Why not pray? Listen, why not bring it to God? I know in those moments, sometimes you might, you might be thinking, well, this thing's just not worthy to bring to God, and so you choose not to pray. But, but I would say to you, why not? How many miracles have we missed in our lives because we have bought into the lie that the thing that we're dealing with doesn't matter to God. You know, I think uh, when I was, I was reading this and thinking about it, and Levi, when he was a little guy, you know, with our kids, when they were sick, the first thing that we did with them is we'd pray. And it conditioned, it conditioned Levi. So every time he got sick, he would be desperate for prayer. I mean desperate for prayer. Daddy, pray for me. You know, and so I'd la- I texted him today. I know this is super confidential, but, you know, I texted him today, and I'm like, man, I love you so much. I remember those moments. Don't stop being desperate for prayer. Don't stop being desperate, you know. But I, I remember those moments, and-, and for him, it was like God was the one who was able to solve the situation. God was. God, help us to be in a place where, like Philippians 4, 6 says, be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. What a beautiful expression of, of, of prayer. What a beautiful exhortation of prayer that is from Paul to the church at, at Philippi. Hey, listen, stop bearing the burden on your own. By the way, that's where anxiety comes from. Anxiety comes when you are holding on to something that you should be giving to God. That's where anxiety comes. Oh, man, I'm so stressed out, Pastor. You, you have no idea. You have no idea. Well, guess what? Stop holding on to those things and place them in the hands of the Father, right? Come unto me, all you who are weary and, and burdened and stressed and anxious. Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You will find peace and rest for your soul, Jesus said, in everything by prayer. So in everything by prayer and supplication, lift up the need that you have to God and look to him to supply the answer. And then notice here, the framework of the request is gratitude. It's gra- this is just so important. You know, when the Bible talks about prayer, uh, for the most part, it, it, it includes the encouragement to pray with a grateful heart. And so we can bring our need, not in a way where we're, where we're accusing God of not supplying for us in a way that we believe we are entitled to be supplied for, but man, we can bring it to him and we can bring it with gratitude. Oh, and by the way, God, thank you that you have been so good to me. Thank you for your mercies and thank you for your compassion and thank you for how many answered prayers I have seen in my life. I love that, you know. I love the gentleness that, that he expresses here, the tenderness to uh, Simon's or Peter's mother-in-law. Now, uh, this, this miracle has always made me wonder and, you know, kind of hope that Peter actually did like his mother-in-law, right? I mean, 
Sometimes it's not easy to pray for a mother-in-law. I'm just, I'm just saying. I don't know what your mother-in-law is like. I've, I've been totally blessed. So just want to make sure that's on video here tonight. I've been totally blessed. But, you know, I wonder if Peter's like, really? Really? I mean, come on. Did you have to do that to her? But that's just my sarcastic mindset. So I think, I think he was, of course, blessed because he's the one, it would seem, that brought the need to Jesus. And then her response is amazing. The response she has to the healing that she's been given is that she gets up and she serves people. Which just brings me to this final point uh, for this particular miracle. And it's this, your healing isn't just for you, your healing is for others as well. When God does a work in your life, it is not just for your benefit, it is for the benefit of the people around you. And not just in the sense of like, man, I got to tell the story of what God did. And by the way, if God's done something in your life, tell the story. Tell the story. Don't, don't hold back from us the blessing that God wants to bring to our lives and the encouragement to trust him because you've chosen to keep the blessing to yourself. Share what God has done in your life. But remember also, it's not just about the testimony it's about the service to God's people. Like it kind of works like this. You're suffering, you're struggling, you go to brothers and sisters to get prayer because anybody can pray for you, right? God can answer anyone's prayers who put their trust and faith in Jesus Christ. You receive the blessing, maybe it's financial provision, maybe it's a physical healing, maybe it's the lifting of discouragement and depression, and then now listen, you're in this condition of answered prayer and you're going on your merry way, now maybe you need to be the person that prays for somebody. You know, maybe you need to be the one that lays your hands on someone and says, hey, let's believe God for the miracle here. And so, so wrap this up and say it's not just for you, the blessing that God brings, it, it's for those around you as well. Verse 32 says, at evening, when the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed. I think Mark is really making a very clear point here that the sun had set, the doors of the synagogue were closed. Remember, it's the same day, so we've gone from synagogue to Peter and Andrew's house, and now... The sun is set, the doors of the synagogue were closed, but just because the doors of the synagogue were closed did not mean that the ministry was done. Sometimes I think that we think that ministry just happens here when the doors of the church are open and when people are coming in. And, and the truth is this, the vast majority of the ministry that happens through Awake in Las Vegas is after the doors of the worship center are closed and you guys are going out as ambassadors filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, being, bringing the influence of Christ into the city of Las Vegas. And so in a, in a way, I think it's similar today as it was then. But obviously there was some notoriety that Jesus had. Uh, people had heard about uh, the various miracles that had been done up to this point. And so people were bringing, people were bringing those who were in need to Jesus. Uh, in fact, the Bible says the whole city was gathered together at the door. So, so evidently, they're still in the house of Peter and uh, Andrew, and James and John are there, and, and Peter's mother-in-law has been healed, and now like the whole house is just surrounded with people because it's like, man, if, 
If Jesus can do that in that person's life, or if Jesus could do that in my life, I've got to bring more people. I've got to bring more people to experience the power of Christ in their life. Now listen, I don't want to reduce this. I'm, I'm kind of coming full circle on what I said earlier. I don't want to reduce this just to what happens here in church. But I will say this. You know, Vegas is, at one point in time, it was the third most unchurched city in the country. The third most unchurched city in the country. That means that there were more unchurched people in the city of Las Vegas than almost any other city in the United States of America. Uh, and to me, what does that equal? To me, that, that equals the fields are white unto harvest. And so, listen, I wanna encourage you tonight, if you've experienced the power of Christ in your life, don't be afraid to invite people here to this place. I'm not saying that your ministry has to just be about bringing people here because that's, that, of course, is just part of it, right? You can be an influence for Christ in the workplace and lead people to Jesus right there in the middle of Aria or whatever hotel you might work at. And then, listen, there's pools there. Pick the right pool, not the wrong pool, and water baptize somebody, you know? I mean... Just make sure you pick the right pool. But, but I'm saying, listen, I want to encourage you, if you have felt the power of Christ touching your life, don't be afraid to invite people to a place where God's people are gathered and the gospel is being preached so that they can meet the Lord as well. I'm sure your neighborhood is filled with unchurched people who need Jesus. Verse 34 says, then he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. So church was over kind of in a way. The synagogue doors were closed, and yet there was this mighty work of God's spirit um, that was influencing probably, I mean, villages were not really big uh, in the Galilee, although this was the biggest city in the Galilee. It was the chief city of, of all the cities. So probably hundreds of people, the Bible says the whole city. Um, I mean, obviously Mark is not saying every single person, but I mean, it was the vast majority of the city was gathered. We're probably talking about hundreds of people. And let me, let me just say this. I think that there's a reason these two miraculous events are set side by side. You have the compassion of Christ for the individual, and then you have the compassion of Christ for the multitudes. And you know, if we're not careful, look, we love it when God does what we perceive to be a big work. We love that, right? And oftentimes we really attribute the power of God to those moments. Like, like for instance, uh, the Awaken events opportunities that we've had. I mean, we have seen thousands of people come to faith in Jesus. And when you're in a stadium and the gospel is preached, the invitation is given, and there are literally thousands of people flooding forward to receive Jesus. I mean, it is an awe-inspiring moment. But we can, we can start to think that's really when God moves. And you know, well, I just, I just shared with one person, and, and I just led one person to the Lord, or I've just led a couple people to the Lord, and you, you know, in your mind, you might kind of discount that, because it's not the multitude, it's not the many, and I would just say, excuse me, really? Don't you remember what the Bible says, that Jesus speaking said there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents? 
I think that these miracles are side by side because it conveys to us, it's not just about the multitude, it's not just about the many, the single soul has always mattered to God. Always mattered to God. And I pray today that that single soul that God has placed in your sphere of influence matters to you as well. Because there's a divine appointment that God has placed in their life, and you are the tool or the instrument that God desires to use. All these demons are, you know, demon-possessed people are brought. There's a, there's there's exorcism, there is authority and power being demonstrated by Christ. You know, I, I will just say this really quickly. Demon possession is real. Demon possession is not just a thing of the past. Now, it's not always possession. Sometimes it's just agitation, right? We live spiritually in a place as Christians where we're in a constant battle. And so there is regular spiritual agitation that's happening in our lives, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. Let me pause right there. Are you guys with me? Right? Have you experienced that? You experienced that today, maybe? Like you're a little worn out, a little tired, a little emotionally exhausted. Well, it's possible uh, that that is because you've been wrestling against principalities and powers. There's been a spiritual agitation that's happened in your life. Uh, whenever there's temptation in your life, remember, it's not just your flesh and it's not just the influence of the world, but that there, there are demonic beings that are behind that temptation. Sometimes it's not just agitation, sometimes it's oppression. Sometimes that agitation is so severe that we can, we can be overwhelmed with the spiritual oppression in our lives. It, it lays on us like a heavy blanket to the extent that sometimes we feel that we can't even move a muscle. Almost like our day is like trudging through mud. And the only way to overcome that for the Christian is to put on the full armor of God, to choose to not be a spiritual victim, but to equip yourself with the tools that God has provided for you so that you can be victorious in the day of battle. I pray today that if you've been walking through some type of spiritual oppression, that you make the choice to read Ephesians chapter 6 and take possession of the powerful tools that God has supplied to you. The Bible says that our weapons of warfare are not carnal in nature, they're mighty in God. And they're mighty enough to pull down strongholds. That's a strong term. It's a military term. It was talking about a, a fortified fortress that was impregnable. Well, you know what? The tools that you have, no matter what the fortress is that the devil has been building against you, there is no fortress that's so mighty that it can withstand prayer and the word of God. And then the third form of spiritual uh, warfare is possession, and that's what we see here happening, that there were actual demons that took up residence in the lives of these individuals. That, by the way, does not just happen. You know, in, these individuals evidently had been engaged in things that had invited these demons in to the place of possession. Maybe it started with agitation, and then it turned into oppression, and then there was so much yielding to uh, the demonic ways, whether it was the teaching or some false spiritual practice, like today's uh, 
today's form of that would be like a false religion. It would be New Ageism. It would be choosing to follow uh, spirit guides. It would be astrology. All of those things. Using a Ouija board is, you know, typically, you know, the kind of the go-to that pastors or preachers talk about. But it's it's a much more than that. Pornography. All of these things. Drug use for recreational purposes. All of these things are open doors to demonic influence in your life. And over the course of time, that influence can turn into a residence where the demon has actually taken uh, hold of an individual and dwells within them. By the way, that's impossible for, it is impossible for a Christian to be demon-possessed because the believer in Christ is indwelt by the Spirit of God. And it is impossible for demons to come and dwell where God's spirit uh, dwells. However, I will say that individuals, even Christians, that yield to temptation over the course of time can have real severe oppression that sometimes can mimic even possession. We need to, in other words, listen, we need to be really, really careful. Jesus did not allow these demons to speak. Some people say because, um, of course, they knew him. They knew him as the, ho the Holy One. We saw that previously in verse 24. Uh, some people would say, well, that was the case because he wasn't ready to be uh, declared as the Messiah. He didn't need to have his deity and eternality revealed at this moment. Um, I would say that's probably not the situation for these demons. Most likely, he didn't want them to speak because he did not need their witness. He, did, he does not need the witness of demons to prove who he is, period. Verse 35, now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. When they found him, they said to him, everyone is looking for you. But he said to them, let us go into the towns that I may preach there also, because for this purpose I've come forth. And he was preaching in their synagogues throughout all Galilee and casting out demons. So, so where is Jesus? You know, big day in ministry. I'm sure he would have loved to have slept in a little bit. Uh, but Jesus' way of being spiritually recharged was finding some alone time with the Father. I mean, this is just so good, right? The Bible says right after these events, one of the biggest days maybe of his earthly ministry, before the sun had risen, he went and he found a solitary place, a place where he was able to be alone, a place where he could shut his cell phone off, a place where the computer wasn't on, a place where the telephone wasn't ringing, a place where all of the pressures of the day he'd be insulated from, a place where the demands of other people were not like beckoning for his attention. He was intentional about finding a solitary place. He was intentional about praying in the solitary place. What did he do when he was alone before the sun had risen and anybody else was up? He was communing with the Father. And look, I, I just would encourage you to, to finish this sentence. If beginning the day in prayer was important to Jesus, dot, 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 right? You finish that one. Like, finish it out loud right now. It needs what would you say? That's it. That's it, right? Like, I mean, it's simple. It's pretty simple. If, if, if it was important enough for the Son of God, right? Think about this. If it was important enough for the Son of God to steal away time with the Father in communion, you know, for connection, for devotion, for strength, 
right, for wisdom. The Bible says before he selected his disciples, he spent the whole evening in prayer, seeking the face of the Father. And if, if that was something that the Son of God prioritized in his life, how much more should we prioritize our daily time with God? You know, we call this a daily devotion, and devotion simply means it's an expression of our devotedness to him, that we love him, that we love to be with him, that we love to spend time with him, that we love to have moments where we're separate. Hey, listen, we pray without ceasing. You can commune with God anywhere, but you have to have those moments where, where, where all of the influence of the world is, is shut off. That secret place is what Jesus called it. So you can have a time dedicated to pouring your heart out to the Father, getting the wisdom that you need for the day, being strengthened in a spiritual way, finding yourself in a place where you are aligned with his purposes. I gotta tell you guys, man, I don't always wake up in the spirit. I know you're shocked, I know you're surprised. You think, hey, pastor, man, probably wakes up and you know, I mean, he's so close to God, his feet don't touch the ground and no, my feet touch the ground just like yours touch the ground. Pastor wakes up and he's probably all just, just right away in the spirit and ready to walk with God and can't wait for the day. No, there are days I'm like, really, do I have to get out of bed today? You know, there are things in my day that I don't necessarily look forward to, just like there are things in your day that you don't look forward to as well. There are times I wake up and one of the most important things in my devotional time is to align myself to the heart of God. Right, to give my heart to him and to choose to look at my day the way he looks at my day. Don't underestimate the value of that daily devotion with the Lord. The, devo- the, the disciples, excuse me, um, they roll in. Simon's searching for him like they wake up. He's not there. You know, he's not in his sleeping bag. I'm not saying that that's how it rolled. But, you know, he's not there. And so they start searching for him and they find him. And you know what? They're a little perturbed. They're a little, I mean, maybe even a little disappointed. They're like, and this is the tone, everyone's looking for you. What are you doing here? Man, there's a lot. There is a lot going on. There's a lot of ministry. There are a lot of hurting people. And there's almost this tone here where it's like, why are you doing this when there is so much else that needs to be done? Uh, This is going to be a topic on Saturday for the women, just looking at the life of Mary and the life of Martha And how Mary, obviously Martha, it was good for her to serve the Lord, but there was something wrong with her heart because she'd been consumed with all these things to the extent where she was bitter towards Mary. And and yet Jesus said to Martha that Mary had chosen the better thing. So don't ever feel guilty for spending time with the Lord. And so what do they say? Hey, everyone is looking for you. His response, I think, probably shocked them a little bit. He said, let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also because for this purpose I've come forth. It's like, you know, if I think if Jesus was a modern-day church planner, he, he would have said something like this. Man, we've got influence. We've got, we've got momentum. We've got momentum in the most significant city in Galilee. Like, hey, this is pretty good. We need to, we need to start a website. We need to get our social media rolling. This is a great place for us to like dig in our roots and anchor ourselves. Now I'm not saying that that is always bad, but what I love about him is this. He's like, no, hey, listen, uh, mission accomplished here. 
We'll come back to this place. Mission accomplished here. I didn't come just to stay in one place. I came to spread the gospel throughout all of Israel. And it's just a, a good reminder for the people of God, while God may move here, and while we see God moving in the city of Las Vegas, let's remember that God has called us to not just Las Vegas, but to the rest of our nation and even to the uttermost parts of the world. It was for the purpose of preaching. Um, don't, don't, for, don't forget this key point. The miracles, for sure, were sig significant, but remember, the miracles were to attest to the message that he was declaring. And the message that he declared was for people to repent and to put their trust and faith in him. The miracles weren't meant to be followed. The miracles were just meant to herald who, in fact, he was. They provided a witness. You could say it like that. And of course, you know, Nicodemus understood that when he came to Jesus uh, in John chapter 3. He said this, no one can do the things you do unless God be with him. Like we recognize it. We're connecting what you do with who you are. There's something special about you because we see it in the acts that you've done. And then Jesus said this about those things that he did. He said, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or else believe on account of the works themselves. I'm saying that to you today because sometimes we find ourselves following the signs, miracles, and wonders instead of following the one who does the signs, the miracles, and the wonders. Like people can get caught up very easily in the miraculous and feel that because they've experienced the miraculous, somehow they're right with God. But the purpose of the miraculous is to point to who Jesus is. He is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. He is the one who delivers. And so thank God for the miraculous things that he does, but it always leads us to a greater faith in Christ. Verse 40 says, now a leper, let me read verse 39. And he was preaching in their synagogues throughout all Galilee and casting out demons. Now a leper came to him. This would have been a big deal at the time. Leprosy is not so much of an issue nowadays. Now a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him, and saying to him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. If you are willing, you can make me clean. Leprosy, of course, if you're familiar with uh, ancient Israel in these particular times, at that point in time, leprosy was an incurable disease. And it was a disease. It was um, a slow-moving bacteria uh, in the body that would affect the extremities of um, a human's appendages, so particularly on the feet, on the nose, on the ears, on the, on the uh, ends of the hands, the fingers. And the bacteria would affect the nerves in such a way where it would actually kill the nerves, the nerve endings, and, and leave a person without feeling in their hands and in their feet. Um, there were all sorts of other things that were connected to this, lesions that people would have. Um, a body could be covered with all sorts of uh, leprosy bumps, as it were. The problem was this, that because a person lost their feeling, oftentimes they would cut themselves or, you know, one of the lesions would become infected and it would lead to a greater infection in the body to the extent where oftentimes whole parts of the body would fall off. So it would not be um, out of the ordinary to have a leper who lost his nose or his ears or fingers or even parts of his feet. And it was a very significant issue because it's an airborne disease. 
The bacteria travels through the air, and so you can be standing in close proximity to somebody who has leprosy, and even though you're not touching them physically, you can still contract the bacteria because it traveled through the air, and it was very contagious. The, the way that ancient Israel handled this was they had leper colonies. These people, family members and friends who contracted leprosy were sent to these colonies where all of these uh, lepers were gathered together. They would live isolated lives, socially isolated lives. Uh, they, of course, were never allowed to go into the temple uh, or one of the synagogues. If, in fact, they were walking down the road, which was something that was rare, they had to declare, they had to yell out that they were a leper. And so, you know, they had this scarlet letter that was attached to them. They, they were all together in every way absolutely avoided. And, and so, like, you, you get all that, and this story becomes even more poignant because here you have this mass of people that's gathered together, and this leper, everyone's concerned and worried because this leper rolls in, and he says something so profound. If you are willing, you can make me clean. Like, he has heard about the power of Christ in his capacity to heal. And, and what he says is this. In other words, I believe in your power to bring healing to my life. You can cure what no one else can cure. It is only if you are willing that it can be done. The Bible says in verse 41, then Jesus moved with compassion. He does something that I'm sure surprised all of them. He stretched out his hand and touched him. And he said to him, I am willing be cleansed. As soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. So, so what does Jesus do? I mean, he's not like, well, look, buddy, yeah, I want to heal you, but don't get too close, all right? Like, we've got, we've got um, social distancing here. And so, so you know, I mean, it, it, you got to give me at least six feet. And let me go, let me, I'm going to make somebody mad tonight, but let me go get my mask. Let me go get my mask, and you know, you stand over there, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna stand over here, and and uh, yeah, I'll, I'll do, I'll do the healing, but like, don't, just don't get too close. He does something that was totally countercultural, totally countercultural. He does something to put himself at risk, right? I mean, he's the son of God. He knows God. He knows exactly what he's doing. But he does something is countercultural. It put himself at risk. There was potential sacrifice. Not only that, but it was unlawful. It was, un, it was against the law to touch a leper, but he wasn't violating the law because he is the one who's the lawgiver. And he was able in this moment to bring healing. And remember, mercy and healing always triumphs over the law. And so what does he do? He crosses over the boundary. Look, the physical healing here is uh, absolutely amazing and vital and powerful, but how much more the healing of this guy's heart when was the last time someone touched him? When was the last time someone crossed over that, that boundary? When was the last time someone was moved with compassion? I love that. Listen, don't, don't let that word be missed on you tonight. He was moved, the Bible says, with compassion. God help the church in America today to not be compassionless. Right? To, to not be in a place where we can talk all day long about how much we care about people, but we will never, we will never cross the boundary. 
We will never reach out and touch someone who's untouchable. We will never reach out to someone who's on the other side. You know, our, our culture is all divided into sides and teams right now. You know that, right? Our culture is all divided into sides and teams. And what, the way people think, even Christians, it's like, well, I'm on this side and this is my team. And you're on that side and, and that's your team, you know. And you know, I hope God judges your team. I hear this all the time, so don't tell me it doesn't exist. I hope God judges your team and your team, you know what your team does to our culture and you know there's all of this thinking and I think man where is the heart of Jesus in that how about we cross over right I'm not saying that somehow we compromise but how about we live like Jesus lived and we cross those cultural boundaries we reach out and touch some someone who is the last thing on their mind is that some Christian is going to demonstrate compassion for them you know, there are a whole group of subgroups culturally in our, in our culture, in our country, that in their mind, the last thing they're expecting to receive from Christians is compassion because they've received the opposite. And I think, man, if, if he were walking today, if he were walking today with the people of God, where would he lead us to? I'm telling you, church, he would lead us to some uncomfortable places. He would lead us to some places where, like, can we go there? Can we go there? Can, can, we, can we reach out to those people? Can, can we step over that boundary and, and, and bring the, the influence of love to that side? Look, he did this all the time, and it was one thing that the Pharisees criticized him for. God help us. God help us to be so moved with compassion that we are led by his spirit to cross those boundaries, to sacrifice ourselves, to risk our own reputations so that we can see people who need Jesus touched by his Holy Spirit. He strictly warned him and sent him away at once and he said, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go your way, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing those things which Moses commanded as a testimony there was space in the law for God to do the miracle, even though it was an impossibility with man. Listen, always make sure you give space to God to move, right? Verse 45, however, he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the matter. This guy couldn't keep it to himself so that Jesus could no longer openly enter the city, but was outside in deserted places, and they came to him from every direction. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word tonight. Thank you for your son. Thank you for his beauty. We've just um, gazed at this work of art that we call the gospel according to Mark. And we've seen him. We've seen his compassion. We've seen his love for what many would have considered unlovable. We see his heart for the one and we see his heart for the many. We see tonight that there's no issue in our lives that's too small. And so tonight, God, we, we want to respond in faith and trust you with the things that have overwhelmed us. We want to choose victory tonight and walk in the weapons of warfare that you have graciously given to us. We want to be ambassadors. Oh God, we want to be ambassadors. In a culture that is so divided into sides and teams, help us, Lord, to be focused on the kingdom of God and to be your instruments. 
of life and healing. Tonight, I just want to, we're going to enter into a time of uh, worship and just an opportunity for God, for God to stir the gifts among us. And as we start that tonight, if you need prayer for something, you know, maybe it's a big thing tonight. Maybe it's, um, you know, you think in other people's minds or eyes it might be a little thing, but it matters to God. Um, I'm just going to ask you to stand up this evening. I want to pray for you. Maybe tonight you need to put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ. You've never believed in the gospel. You can stand up too. I want to pray. Whatever your need is this evening, don't be afraid. Thank you so much. Don't be afraid to just stand up. And look, I need prayer. I'm standing right now. I'm standing with you guys. There's, there are things in my life that, that I want God to do. I need to see the Lord do. And... Um, just want to start our time together in this afterglow in prayer. Awesome. God bless you. Oh, Father, thank you. Thank you, God, for your presence. God, for every one of these beautiful people. Oh, God, that are treasures to you. God, they are treasures to you. They're loved beyond what they could ever imagine. God, they are the apple of your eye. They are a joy to you. They are your sons and daughters. There is not a single thing in their life that doesn't matter or is too insignificant. And God, tonight, please, we pray, just as your disciples brought Peter's mother-in-law and, and as we see so many brought to you, we pray tonight that you are able, God, we know you're able. Just as the man said, we know you are able it's only if you're willing, and tonight we know what your word says, and so please, we pray, in each of these lives, for everything that's being carried, God, for every need that's, that's represented this evening, oh God, we make our prayer to you, and we bring our supplication, and we ask God that you would supply the answer. Oh God, in Jesus' name, supply the answer. Whatever is needed tonight, Father, please, supply the finances. God, supply the, the word of encouragement where there has been discouragement. Father, in those areas where the voice of the adversary is, it's just been like, uh, it's, it's taken a foothold. God, we pray tonight that your word would wash and cleanse and replace. We pray, God, please, that there would be a lifting of discouragement, a healing of relationships. Father, a physical healings this evening on backs and arms and hearts. God, tonight we pray that there would be a, a work in the marriages represented. And oh God, please, we pray that you would move among us, that you would demonstrate your power that we would leave this place not just with a blessing, but God willing to bring the blessing to others.